Welcome to Back to My Garden. Discover your passion for gardening. Here's Dave Ledoux. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are in the world when you listen to this. I'm Dave Ledoux, and welcome to another episode of Back to My Garden. And today we get to go across the pond over to England, and we're talking with Jane. Jane loves being outside, experiencing firsthand the infinite intricacies and fascinations with nature. She loves growing her own delicious fresh food. She blogs about gardening at perone.blogs.com. We're going to talk about that. And she's also a journalist and a garden gardening editor at The Guardian, one of the biggest newspapers in England. Joining us from London, England, please welcome to the show, Jane Perone. Hi, Jane. Hi there. How was my introduction? Did I get it mostly right? You got it completely spot on. Fantastic. I want to hear your stories and the listeners want to get to know you better. Uh, Take a minute or two and just uh, share with us a little bit about your background and how did you fall in love with gardening? Okay, well, uh, as you said, I'm the gardening editor at the Guardian newspaper. Um, And... I always say to people who say, oh, you know, how do you how did you get your job or how did you get into gardening? I always say, oh, I used to be a real journalist, which is a bit of a joke, really. But um, my professional training is in journalism. So I did um, a uh, an English literature degree, which was fun, but not very much uh, practical use for journalism. <laughs> um, then I went to the States and I studied uh, a master's of mass communication at Louisiana State University. Then I came back to the UK. I did some a year doing research um, into the internet and uh, journalism. Uh, and then I did a a journalism course to do a local a local newspaper in uh, the UK. And then I finally got my job at The Guardian. So I've come from a very um, traditional journalism background. The flip side of that is that I've always been fascinated by plants and from a very young age, um, been growing stuff. It started off really with house plants was my first love as a child. Um, and I there's a very sad picture of me looking very geeky with a big table full of houseplants in my bedroom when I was about maybe 13. I wasn't the coolest of kids. I just love plants. Um, I had a big terrarium full of houseplants. But I also remember the one of the first things I sowed as a seed was parsley. And I remember sowing this parsley seed. And I don't know whether I read the instructions on the packet or what I did, but I remember sowing it and then coming back the next day and being devastated that nothing had happened. And then going back the next day, still nothing had happened. Nothing had sprouted. I'm finally sort of forgetting about it. And then going back about two weeks later, and as we all know, parsley is very slow to germinate. Two weeks later, I was absolutely amazed that the parsley was coming up. And um, I was that that sort of was another reason why I got completely hooked. Um, just sort of seeing that transformation from a, a seed um, to a, a fully fledged plant that in many cases you could eat. Um so there you go. I, I've always been interested in plants. And then I, after I um, uh, had my first child, uh, the gardening job came up at The Guardian, gardening editor. Um, and I fancied a change of pace, having been in breaking news for several years. And I just thought this is a great match for my hobby and passion and my skills as a writer and editor. I've babbled on a bit there, but I hope that gives you a little bit of a flavor. Absolutely. Uh, For those of you listening who are maybe driving or not near a computer, 
Jean and I are going to chat about gardening for the next 25 minutes, and I'll have all of her links and resources up on the blog at backtomygarden.com. For those of you on social media, you can connect with Jane and follow her on Twitter at Jane Perone. There's two R's in Perone and one N. Uh, but you can also read her blog at perone.blogs.com. Uh, you have a column too that's online, I think, at The Guardian, right? Yeah, so I write various things for The Guardian. Um, I write uh, various blog posts for The Guardian Gardening blog. Um, I also can be found uh, writing a little column called What to Do This Week, which is little tips on things that you can be getting up to in the garden, generally lighthearted and not too uh, serious. Uh, and, and occasionally I can be found writing features. And, and I also write for other publications as well. Uh, um, so I have a, a varied, varied set of outlets where I like to write. Outstanding. Uh, you're a bit of an inspiration to me. We have a lot of people who email me. They have teenagers who love gardening and want to pursue kind of a horticulture path. Mm. And you're like at this uh, intersection of the old world and new world media. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I guess I've always been uh, a bit of a a bit of an internet geek type person. In fact, when I did my journalism course, uh, my newspaper journalism course in the UK, I actually taught as a student, so I was studying as a student, but I actually taught the internet part of the course more or less because the teacher said, you know about this stuff. Cause I just come from a year doing um, research at, at a university into internet journalism. So I basically taught the other students about internet journalism. And that was back in, sort of 98 when it was all very early stages and then I started my gardening blog in 2004 when weblogs what what is a weblog what is that all about and obviously there weren't many gardening blogs around at that time and now there's hundreds um so yeah I'm a strange mix of 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 a sort of as you say old media and new media I still love newspapers I still love magazines but I also love that the the connections and um resonances that you can get from social media and, and the, the gardening community online. Um, you can just find really cool people and find answers to questions that you never knew you wanted to know uh, via the likes of Twitter and Facebook and, uh, and blogging. It's great fun. I'm trying to imagine you from London, England, one of the most amazing cities on earth, going to school in Louisiana, because I've been to Louisiana. It must have been like you're on a, a landing party from another planet. You have hit the nail on the head there. It was. It was really. I mean, I remember. I mean, it was a t- total culture shock because I was sort of 21, I suppose. And I arrived, arrived, flew into New Orleans at night. And I remember clearly coming out of the airport and just the air coming out of the sliding doors and the, the sauna-like air hitting me in the face and just thinking, what the hell? And then having to wait for a Greyhound bus to Baton Rouge um, and being picked up by um, some very kind students who um, took me to my room. It was it was very strange. And one of the things I really noticed immediately was plants that we had as house plants in the UK were bedding plants. So caladiums, which in the UK are sort of, you know, ha- highly difficult to look after house plants. In uh, Louisiana, they were bedding plants, the very brightly coloured foliage uh, plants. I can't, I can't think what the common name for them is now. Uh, is it angel's wings? I can't remember. But things like that and just seeing incredible insects, giant, everything was giant, giant insects, giant ants. It was it was a, a really um, amazing experience to spend two years there. Um, 
and I learned a lot. Let's put it that way. At the time, it was probably, funnily enough, the time where I was least into gardening um, uh, in that sort of early 20s age when you tend to be sort of distracted by other things. But I did notice a lot of interesting things about um, the contrast between American gardens or Louisiana gardens, because Louisiana is kind of unique, as we all know, <laughs> to the rest of the state, um, and British gardens. So things like the way that everybody had lawn out the front and it was all, you know, regimented and, you know, th th there was, it was very much kind of, this is, uh, everyone has to have the same kind of setup out the front. Nobody's got an unusual quirky uh, front garden like you get in the UK. And then obviously other parts of Louisiana where there was just absolutely terrible poverty where people were living in conditions that I never thought I would see uh, in uh, a so-called uh, developed country so that was interesting too and lots of amazing trees uh, the Spanish moss and uh, just a fascinating wildlife it was a, it was a really great experience um, and I'd love to go back but uh, I'm a bit older and wiser now so I probably and I'd probably be spending a lot more time looking at the plants and discovering the swamp cypress and things like that than I was then I'm a big fan of traveling. I always encourage youth to travel as much as they can. But England kind of invented the concept of the plant hunter. This was a, a noble profession once upon a time where you would literally travel the world looking for unique plants for the nobility in England. Indeed. And um, what's interesting is there is there is a new generation of plant hunters now who are doing the very same thing, uh, hopefully with a lot more sort of responsibility and ethical values than in the past. But, um, you know, there is a whole new generation of, of English plant hunters going out into the world and bringing back uh, plant material to liven up English gardens. Um, that's happening still today. And uh, I can understand the appeal of it. I mean, it's a fascinating thought to imagine yourself coming across the first um, uh, the first of a new species um, and realising that actually this could grow in uh, back in your own garden at home. It's a fascinating idea and that there are lots of those people doing that kind of work. I mean, immediately springs to mind are um, Sue and Bledin Wynne-Jones at Krug Farm Plants, which is a North Wales nursery which specialises in rare plants and they spend a lot of their time going out um, to remote parts of the world uh, and bringing back plants. Um, and one of our bloggers on the Guardian Gardening blog is Robbie Blackhall Miles, and he's their plant propagator. So he's the guy who uh, gets the plant material and they say, right, you've got to figure out how to germinate these seeds. And then he has to kind of go on a bit of a sort of a Sherlock Holmes style journey of discovery, figuring out which plants need, which seeds need to be uh, have a period of cold or which plants need which conditions in order to germinate so it's a fascinating world of plants and and he's his blog is definitely worth reading on the guardian gardens blog if you're interested in rare plants and plant hunting generally so i'll have a link on the for the guardian blogs there that's robbie robbie blackhall miles is his name blackhall he's a miles. fantastic okay. uh, plant expert and a member of the Linnaean Society. So he knows all, all there is to be known about uh, um, plant groups. Which strikes me as amazing because, I mean, this is always being debated, the global warming slash climate change, whether it's cyclical or man-made. But regardless of what side of the argument you are, the weather's changing a little bit in London, isn't it? Well, 
that's a really interesting point. Um, I would have, uh, yeah, I would have said yes, but for the fact that we then we we had in the nineties we had quite a lot of mild winters, and then we had two or three winters, not this winter just gone, but two or three winters before that that were really quite harsh. Um, London is its own microclimate. Um, the urban heat island effect is 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 in action and you can indeed there are a couple of sites where there are grapefruit trees uh which fruit uh in london that's an, inter- an interesting fact which um so, so there's a lot of um there is a, there's a lot to be gained from the whole um the fact that you've got a slightly warmer climate and not many frosts so the urban heat island has a big effect on london i actually live um a, a you uh, about 40 miles north of London um so I'm not quite so uh I don't have quite so much of the advantage I do get heavy frost from time to time where I live um in Bedfordshire um in London there are places where uh, exotic plants do thrive there are certain places where you can find grapefruit trees fruiting for example um so exotic things can survive um but you know the weather is has amazing potential to uh surprise you doesn't it and this winter um it's been pretty mild but we did have a couple of really quite harsh winters and you know i've heard lots of different takes on climate change and and weather um and i truly believe that climate change is happening and that we are partly responsible to it but i think partly responsible for it in in terms of the way we uh, human beings have been acting in the world but uh, I think in terms of the weather that I've experienced through my lifetime, I think that's probably on such a small micro scale compared to the sort of macro level of climate change on a global scale. It's hard to relate. Um, but I think what I love about English weather is that there is that cycle. So when I was living in Louisiana, really, apart from sort of three months of the year, uh, where it was steaming hot, it was pretty much the same all year round. Whereas much as I dislike cold, wet weather in the winter, there is something wonderful about the weather warming up and the, the sky, those blue sky days in, in early spring when the snowdrops are out and the cyclical nature of gardening in the UK that is wonderful. Um, and those contrasts between the garden at the height of summer and the depths of winter are something to so you can sort of wonder at. So, there is something to be said for it, but I do struggle through winter. I really do find it difficult to um, to, to cope with the, uh, the cold. I'm not a cold weather person at all. <laughs> I try to explain to my North American friends the worldwide impact of the English garden and their contribution to the industry. And, you know, you have century gardens like Weasley that mm. we just don't have. I, I was kidding with a friend. Uh, Thompson and Morgan is older than the country of Canada. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, yeah, that is- <laughs> we're in birch bark canoes and teepees, and you guys yeah. are having tea in the in the in the garden with you know. It's just extraordinary. After football and cricket, I would say gardening is your third national sport. That's a really interesting thought. Um, yes, that is a really interesting thought. I mean, I think that there are disadvantages to that history, and I think the disadvantages are that. There is a big sort of, rightly so, there is a big sort of conservation movement in terms of, yes, we must preserve this amazing garden history. But I think it also can be rather stifling in that uh, truly innovative and new garden design 
um, is often found in other parts of the world, if you see what I mean. So mm-hmm. we tend to be, I, th- I think sometimes we can be a bit hidebound by our history and, and the past and we must preserve this heritage rather than thinking, how can we be cutting edge in horticulture? So, yeah, I think I think I'd love to see more at the Chelsea Flower Show, for example. I'd love to see some really out there garden design that just blew my mind rather than um, things that I'm already familiar with uh, and and have seen a dozen times before. So there's a challenge for you garden designers out there. Oh, it's it's got to start with the youth, doesn't it? They're the impetuous ones. Uh, I met a, an organization you have called Young Horts, mm. and uh, that's a UK group of teenagers mostly that are beginning their careers in landscape and garden design. Yes, um, and and more power to their elbows. They're doing a great job there, and uh, it's interesting how many young people are now considering gardening as a career. Um, uh, James Wong, who I don't know if you you or your listeners are familiar with, um, he's a British uh, TV presenter, gardener, ethnobotanist, and he's been going around horticultural colleges giving talks on how cool a career um, horticulture is and giving examples of people who've done amazing things. And he's really been inspiring lots of young people to get into horticulture. And there's many other movements of a similar nature. Um, I... I was thinking back to when I was a teenager and thinking, well, if I was so into plants, why would I have not have considered horticulture as a career? Um, and I don't think it was ever really something that was brought up or suggested to me that as a possible career. Um, but I think that's gradually changing. Um, and people are seeing that it can be a really exciting and rewarding um, way of spending your time, particularly if you're the kind of person that doesn't really want to be sat behind a desk and a computer all the time. Uh, and, and aren't suited to that kind of lifestyle, um, then horticulture can be can be fascinating um, and very rewarding. You know, Jane, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you on behalf of, I guess we have listeners in 62 countries, what is, we have a brand new year ahead of us, what's going to be the popular conversation around gardening in the UK or what's hot or trending? Is there anything you see in your crystal ball? Oh, well, that's a good question. I, um, well, uh, I, I think that um, issues of water are still going to be a big concern. So water saving, hydroponics, um, how to garden with less water, but also flooding and how to how to garden in such a way that you uh, you mitigate um, against flooding conditions. I, uh, you know, people in the UK perhaps it's happening in your neck of the woods too, are um, paving over front gardens at an alarming rate, um, which provides lots of problems in terms of runoff and increased risk of flooding. I think issues around water are going to continue to be very central um, to our to our thoughts. And things like hydroponics and, um, and aquaponics, where you're thinking about ways of using water in different ways to grow plants in, in small spaces, um, is going to also become... Uh, even an even bigger discussion um and i think other than that i i I foresee that um there'll be more and more thoughts about technology and gardening so how can we use apps devices and gadgets to change the way we garden so 
while most of us won't be shelling out, uh, well, I guess they're about 1,200 UK pounds. I don't know how much they are in North America uh, for one of these robo mowers. Actually, that is a signal of something that we're starting to looking at looking at automating garden systems in a way that we haven't before using plant sensors um, connected to smartphones Um, and I think that will become an increasing area that people will be focusing on in the coming years wow brilliant (laughs) I just took a whole paragraph of notes that'll be good on the blog (laughs) Uh, I was just glancing at the time, Jane. Our time is flying by, and now is the time in the show where we play a game called Five Quick Questions. Uh, This is your chance to share your wisdom and experience with novice beginner gardeners. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, Question one. Uh, What's the funniest or most embarrassing mistake you've made in the garden that you're willing to admit to in public? Oh, my gosh. Well, probably something like, (laughs) well, I have a reputation for dressing like a scarecrow whenever I'm gardening, like literally like a scarecrow. Um, There's a picture of me on my allotment when I had an allotment wearing like an old padded check shirt and the worst trousers in the world and the worst shoes in the world, literally looking like a scarecrow. Um, And people not actually recognizing me because I look so awful. My dad has a phrase about... um, gardening being all about rolling around under a hedge with a crowbar and that is kind of my style of gardening I'm mostly to be found fiddling about in my compost heap and that's kind of can be embarrassing if the neighbors look over the fence also I have a green roof on my office and um, I clearly remember um, being up there planting it up and uh, my next door neighbor's son um who's not a big gardener, it has to be said, but he had one particular plant that he was particularly keen on um, growing. And I'll leave it to your imagination what this plant was, but he basically caught me or saw me observing him caring for this particular plant. You can imagine he's a teenager. Do I need, are you getting the drift here? Oh, uh, yeah, it's medicinal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a medicinal plant that he's particularly interested in. And I don't know whether he was more embarrassed than I was, or I was more embarrassed that, my sort of my my crow's nest position on the green roof had given me a great view of him surreptitiously going out to tend his plant. <laughs> so um, that was pretty embarrassing. Um, we have spoken since. But um, yeah, generally, it's my appearance uh, that, you know, and I sometimes forget that I'm dressed like a scarecrow and then I'll, you know, wander out the front garden and sort of people walk past thinking, what on earth? Uh, I'm not one of those, you know, I don't know if you get sort of Gardener's World or any of those kind of TV shows where you see the gardeners and they're dressed in a lovely outfit and they're doing the garden. I don't know how that works, but that's certainly not me. <laughs> I'm a dirt covered gardener. <laughs> in, in Canada, we get old BBC shows like Hand Me Downs. Oh, and, right. Uh, yes. our, there's a show called uh, Keeping Up Appearances with Hyacinth Bouquet. Oh, yes. And she makes her husband Richard wear a tie in the garden. Yes. My wife yes. threatens me all the time to put on a tie. Yeah, that's a bit of a... The hyacinth bouquets, it's a bit of a um, a stereotype that's still kind of... It's quite a powerful stereotype in the UK. Um, and, you know, if you want to sort of insult somebody, you might say, oh, she's a real hyacinth bouquet character. So, uh, yeah, it's Very got good. resonance, that show, even now. <laughs> a question two. Uh, The Queen passes a law that you're only allowed to grow one plant next year. Uh, What plant would you personally just have to grow if you were only allowed to grow one plant? 
this is good timing because I actually was thinking about this this morning and readers may, listeners may be horrified by this, but I think it would probably be mint. <gasps> That's a four letter word on this show. Tell well, us more. Do you, are, are you a mint, are you a mint hater? Um, or are you I fear hater? the mint. I respect the you mint. I know it's power. You need to, you do need to, well, that's why it's such an awesome plant, right? It is just the cool, it's the most amazing plant. I use it for so many different things. I use it to deter rats from going in my compost heap because they don't like the smell. I dry enough mint to get me through the winter drinking two cups of mint tea a day. Um, I put it in my, I put eau de cologne mint, which is a particular variety of mint in my bath. Um, I chew some to freshen my breath it's just the most i put it in salads it's it's just the most um versatile group of plants and there's so many lovely different varieties uh which i find fascinating so i think it plus also if i'm on you know if i'm sort of in a post-apocalyptic situation i think mint would survive anything Mm. if i was on a desert island i think mint would be okay so i would I'd, i'd side with mint i love it well done. <laughs> Controversial, possibly. Uh, so question three will lead right into that. If you want to send Jane a comment about Mint, you can connect with her on Twitter at Jane Perone. Uh, question three is about websites. Do you have uh, one or two favorite websites that you could share as a resource? Well, yeah. I mean, I I don't know how sort of obvious these are, but I'll fire away anyway. The RHS website, the Royal Horticultural Society, which is the UK's biggest gardening organisation, uh, is is a fount of knowledge um, that I use almost every day. If you're looking for a particular plant and for trying to find a, a nursery that supplies it, then you can look um, in their database. If you're looking for information about how to grow a particular plant or how to prune your apple tree the resources are there. It's a fabulous resource. Um, and I'm an RHS member. So I, I like to use that site. Um, I also like, um, and I can't even remember what the, what it stands for. PFAF.org, which is the website plants for a future. Is that right? Plants for a future.org. I think it is, um, which is a great resource for edible plants. So, um, I'm a bit of a forager, so I like to eat weeds and, um, plants that I find, in the wild and it's a great resource for looking up what the edible qualities of a particular plant are uh, and it's very well um it's very informative and it's very well written and there's lots of information there so i refer to that a lot for sort of those weird edibles that you want to know about so i don't know i want to eat some fuchsia berries is this something i should be doing i can look up on there and i also have loads of foraging books but it, that's a good resource that i use a lot Outstanding. A question four is about books. Do you have a favorite gardening book that you can suggest? Oh, that's really tricky because I have a lot of gardening books. But I would say um, I absolutely adore the late Christopher Lloyd, who was actually the Guardian's um, gardening correspondent, sadly uh, passed away before I joined. um, So I never got the chance to meet him which is still a, a cause of sadness. But his book, The Well-Tempered Gardener, The Well-Tempered Gardener, if I can say that right, um, again, is another book that I refer to a lot. And I just love reading it because he is so opinionated and he always has something controversial to say. And he always bursts the bubble of pompous gardeners who um, 
sort of have have a sort of an attitude about uh, about their garden and how they garden and it just it, there's always something new to learn in there and um it's it's just such a valuable book um i wrote a blog guest blog post recently for the west dean gardens blog which is west dean is a garden on the south coast of england beautiful absolutely gorgeous garden i recommend you go there if you ever get the chance and i wrote a guest blog for them about my I like to call it my winter sweet hell, but I had this uh, winter sweet shrub in my garden, Chimananthus, I can't even say it, Chimananthus, somebody will correct me on that um, if I'm wrong. Uh, it's, a, it's a shrub or small tree which flowers in winter time, and my, mine is four years old and it has not yet flowered. And I've been tweeting, oh, I'm so excited because my winter sweet's about to flower and it's great. Um, and it didn't flower. And I've been moaning about this on Twitter. And then, then I went to the Well-Tempered Garden. And not only did Christopher Lloyd inform me that it usually takes seven years before it flowers and said, oh, impatient gardeners find themselves wondering why it hasn't flowered yet. Well, it's because yeah, it takes on average seven years to flower. So I immediately felt chastened. And then I looked at what it said about the neighbouring shrub that I have next to the winter sweet, which is uh, the winter honeysuckle. And I was so proud of my winter honeysuckle. And then uh, it, it said something like coarse appearance. <laughs> and it's just always he always has a way of undercutting, you know, your sort of um, feelings of pride about your garden, which I rather like. Sorry, I've waffled on there. But um, Christopher Lloyd is worth checking out if you haven't come across him uh, before. Outstanding. I love it. <laughs> Question five, finally, is... A fun one. Jane, is there anything you've never personally grown that you would love to experiment with in the garden? Wow. There's so many things I haven't grown that I'd love to experiment with. Um, I would love to experiment with some of the hardy succulents and cacti that I believe are possible to grow in the UK. Um, I've been reading a couple of books recently which have talked about uh, how to grow these successfully in the UK climate. Uh, and I do have a couple of succulents that I keep in my greenhouse unheated over the winter, which survive pretty well. So I'm interested in that. I'm interested in finding out, is it possible for me to grow uh, various succulents? And how cool would it be to have a cactus growing in an English garden? It would just be very cool, I think. As a, as a big fan of houseplants and cacti, I'd love to give that a try. Jane, I have an introduction for you. There is a wild man living amongst you in England. His name is John, and he owns yep. a company called Tropical Britain. Do I need to speak to John about this? You do. He's a wild man. He's a Kiwi, kind of a transplant, and he's all about zone okay. pushing and exotics and succulents in hmm. England. Tropicalbritain.co.uk Okay, I'm writing that down. I'm going to look that up. That sounds great. Cactuses sound fun. Yeah, I mean, I have a few in the house, not that many, because my children tend to sort of throw themselves around and end up getting spiked by things. But um, <laughs> but um, I'd like to grow more. I'd love to grow more. And to grow them outside would be interesting. Uh, possibly not very in the English style, but, um, but you know, who cares? Yeah. I think it would be fun. Uh, there you go, dear listener. Tons of great information. You can connect with Jane at Twitter at Jane Perone. Check out her blog at www.peron.blogs.com. 
And I'll have links up to The Guardian as well. Uh, tons of great information. Tons and tons. Oh, decades of great information. Uh, Jane, you've been an incredible guest. Thank you for being on the show. It's a pleasure. I want to invite you to have the last word today. Uh, think of all the listeners around the world in 60 plus countries. Can you leave us with a note of encouragement or a pearl of wisdom? Wow, no pressure then. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, I would say that one of the big things that holds people back from experimenting in their gardens is fear. Fear of being caught out, fear of not knowing the Latin name of something, uh, fear of something failing. And I would just say, you know, be brave, try things out. Um, little and often is the key to, to keeping a garden going or a plant going. But try something new this year. Don't just stick with the same old round of, you know, plants on your allotment or in your garden. Try something new and you might surprise yourself. Outstanding. Tremendous. Thanks for being on the show, Jane. No problem. <laughs>